Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right. What's up, YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries. SoundTheTrumpetMinistries.com, and today I want to do a teaching called The Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane. Now, why do I want to go here is because we're going to find out that, you know, this word only appears in the Bible twice, but there are many examples pretty much saying what the garden was all about, what this whole thing is concerning Jesus Christ, concerning you and I and our walks. We're even going to go into what the meaning of what Gethsemane really means and why it's important to you and I. So, you know, I don't want to waste a lot of time in this concerning this, but I believe we're going to learn a lot today. We're going to learn a lot about our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're also going to learn, you know, give us more reason to even love him and appreciate him and desire him because when you think of all the things that he did, all the sacrifices that he made, how the Bible says he poured out his soul unto death, we're going to have new meaning and understanding as to what that is concerning the Garden of Gethsemane, the significance of why he was in the garden, what he left there, what he allowed to be distributed unto you and I, and what he has done to us that we may be able to do to others. So I don't want to give a lot of babble. I don't want to give a lot of talk because I know that we got a lot to cover tonight. So, hey, Sister Sarah, I want to go into prayer and we can get right into this lesson. Heavenly Father, in Jesus name, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for another day, another day not promised to us. And we ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time with my brothers and sisters that you have allowed us yet another day to be partakers in your word, to be edified by your spirit, that you may have your spirit, Lord, flow through us. And I just pray, Lord, today that no man's heart gets hurt tonight, Lord, that no flesh be gloried in, no man's mind, no man's desire is even mentioned in this, but that we truly understand that the Holy Ghost is the only true teacher the one Lord that will bring us into all truth and righteousness. So I just pray in Jesus name that you open the minds, you open the ears, you open the hearts, you open the understanding of those Lord who desire you. For every message that we preach Lord is to the masses, but it's also to your holy remnant who will receive it, who will believe it, who will not desire to be entertained, but will let this word live in their lives that they may come to fruition in Christ. So I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention and confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief, spirits of distraction, spirits of antichrist, all those things, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name that you bind them, that you take them out of the midst, 
that your people will hear, that their eyes, their ears, and their hearts will be open to receive your truth. For you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. Teach us your word tonight, Lord. Give us all spiritual food that they may help us in our spiritual walk. Let all these things be done for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Hey, Brother Randy, how's it going, bro? All right. So, you know, the thing is, is uh, we're going to go into the Garden of Gethsemane tonight, and I want to get right in. I want to start with Isaiah 53, and then we're going to get right into this lesson concerning the garden. So let's begin in Isaiah 53. I think we're going to learn a lot today. I think we're going to gain a lot, and I'm grateful for my brothers and sisters who are willing to hear the truth. Okay, because truth is not something you can fool around with today because there's so much lies and so much deception. Why would you even want to turn away from the truth? What brings us confusion in our lives is our unwillingness to know the truth because Jesus Christ wants his people to know, okay, what he stands for. He does not want to leave his people ignorant. He says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But if you resist the truth, the Bible speaks about the next spirit that comes upon people, which is the spirit of error. So we've got to stay in line with what the truth of the gospel is and desire the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So this is Isaiah 53. Let's look at verse one. He says, who have believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. So what did this mean for Jesus Christ? This meant that Jesus would come out in plain means, in humble means. You know, he grew up pretty much what you would say was the ghetto of, of Jerusalem, okay, Bethlehem. And we must be understand that there was nothing, you know, beautiful about Jesus. There was nothing flamboyant. So it says he would come up as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So Jesus was unattractive, okay? He would have been what you would have called today ugly, okay? There was nothing about Jesus that you would have looked at. He probably wasn't even that tall. He probably, you know, there could have been a lot of things, but whatever it was, the flesh would not have been attracted to him. I call this the master stroke of God the Father because he would not allow Jesus to be received through the means of the flesh, but only through the spirit, only through the truth, only through holiness and righteousness and willingness to serve can we have Jesus Christ. So he says in verse three, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So you see, Jesus was a rejected person. Jesus was a person that was acquainted with grief. He walked around every day of his life serving the Father, making no you know, time for his flesh to do what he wanted, but he lived as a living sacrifice unto you and I to show us the ways of righteousness. So his purpose wasn't to enjoy this life, but to get all those unrighteous souls born again 
that they may escape this life and be a part of the body of Christ. So it says in verse four, surely he have borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him uh, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes, excuse me, y'all, we are healed. So if you look at that word bruised, that's H1792. Let's look up the meaning. That word means to crush, to be crushed, be contrite, be broken. The reason why I'm going here, and I went for this meaning, you guys are going to see what it actually means, okay? Why this bruising was so important to you and I. Look at verse six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. You know, one of the amazing things about Jesus Christ was his fortitude. The very fact that he knew that he had to die for you and I, and he made no excuses for it. But there were areas in his life that he needed to go through in order for this process to take place. The first was when he was baptized and the Holy Ghost led him into the wilderness to fast for 40 days to subdue the flesh so that he could return in the power of the spirit. And the second time was in the garden of Gethsemane where he had to pull it together and he had to pray through for a breakthrough so that he can go forward with what the father did. And the final time or the third brokenness period of Jesus Christ was when he endured that cross for you and I, that we may be saved, that the life that was in Jesus Christ would become the life of us. Okay, so anyway, he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. So you see God the father is not going to allow us to ignore such a great work that Jesus Christ did, all that he did concerning us being alive to Christ. The sacrifice that Jesus made will never be overshadowed by anything we can do in the flesh, anything that we can try and substitute for him or place with him. God the Father won't allow it. God the Father in Matthew 17, when they wanted to make a memorial for Moses who represented the Old Testament and Elijah, who kind of represented the New Testament because he was John the Baptist. I mean, it was the same uh, spirit that John the Baptist had to announce Jesus Christ. And when those things were brought up, you saw immediately the father came and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. So the last thing God the father wanted 
was us to stick anything next to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is our, is our way. He's the truth, he's our life and Jesus Christ alone. Verse nine, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That word for bruise is crushed. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Uh, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So let's look at this. It pleased God the Father to crush the life out of Jesus Christ that you and I may make it. See, truly understanding the love of God is not something that you can get on this side of things. God is totally selfless that he took his only son that never did any sin, never did anything to anybody, no guile in his mouth. Every day of his life, he glorified the father, yet it pleased the father to crush his own son for the love of you and I. Man, it's a sickly kind of love. It's a crazy kind of love that is totally selfless, totally committed, totally faithful, and totally true. We ought to pray for the heart of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We should be praying that his, uh, our hearts become his throne, that he may sit in and dictate through, because what a beautiful love for a father to crush the life of his own son. And he didn't just kill him, he didn't just die. The wrath of almighty God that should have been for you and I fell on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Something we gotta think about. Look at verse 11. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So what we're talking about is a true hero in time and space. Well, actually time and space and outside of it, Jesus Christ, you know, poured out his soul unto death that you and I will live. Man, this is, this is awesome. I want you guys to look at something. The spirit led me to look up the meaning of the word semini, okay? Now the word Gethsemane means an oil press, okay? It means to be pressed. You can also call it a place of crushing. But I want you guys to look at this when you get to what the word uh, semini actually means, okay? This word means, it says, um, let's see, the word for ointment, here in the Hebrew is shemen, uh, meaning ointment, oil, fat, cream, or fertility. This word is almost certainly the origin for the Latin word semen, meaning seed, from which we get our English word semen. So you can say that this was a place of crushing. Hey, Anna, this was a place of crushing that the life of Jesus Christ would be spewed forth to you and I. You know, this is an amazing thing. And we're gonna talk about all of this tonight because it's important that we get understanding of what this whole thing is about. So 
I have three different places where, you know, I want to attack this. The word Gethsemane is mentioned twice, but we're gonna go to three different chapters to get all we can out of it. And we're gonna see how this truly relates to the gospel and you and I. So let's get started. I wanna go to Matthew 26 and let's look at verse 18. Matthew 26 and 18. Okay. Well, guys, if you have any questions, you know, you can always put them down in the uh, chat room. But the thing that I want people to understand too is this, have your Bibles out in front, guys, because we need to learn and get ready to be able to teach others. We are the ministers that the Lord calls us to be. So let's look at verse 18. It says, and he said, go into the city to such a man and say unto him, the master saith, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now when the evening or evening was come, uh, he sat down with the 12, and as they did eat, he said, verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me, Oh, excuse me, and they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, he that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The son of man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. Um, is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, thou hast said. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave to them saying, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So what's interesting here is, you know, I remember talking to a brother, uh, James, uh, actually maybe uh, almost a week ago now, and we were just sitting there thinking, and the Lord gave us revelation that, isn't it funny how Jesus is sitting here? Can you imagine? He's washing the feet of the disciples. He's uh, sharing the Passover with them. But yet there's an enemy in the midst sitting right at the table and Jesus knew who it was. And it was almost like he couldn't stop talking about it. Like this thing was troubling him. Although he knew it was his faith to be broken and to be a sacrifice for us. But you know, just to be betrayed right in the middle of those who supposedly love you. I mean, it had to be rough for the Lord. It had to be something where you know, you don't even feel right about it, but you still got to go according to what the father said. And Jesus even washed Judas's feet. He even ate with him, you know, and he allowed Judas to betray him because Jesus's body had to be broken for the life of Christ to come out into you and I. But what's really interesting about this too is that Jesus said, you know, um, let's see, when, uh, when uh, Judas said, is it I? 
you know, uh, Jesus said, thou hast said. And then immediately after that, he did the communion with the breaking of the bread, which represented his body. So let's look at verse 27. And it says, and he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the new covenant or new Testament. They're the same word, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink, when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. So right after they sang a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Look at verse 31. Uh, then saith Jesus unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me. This night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. So what Jesus knew was gonna come was the shepherd who was himself would be smitten, you know, would be beaten, would be killed, would be crushed. And he says that the flock that followed him would scatter and run away. This is prophesied, verse 32. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, though I, should uh, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples, then cometh Jesus with them unto a place. No, you know, well, let me just stop right here, verse 35. So Peter tried to convince the Lord he would not betray him. He would go with him into prison. He would go with him unto death. It didn't matter, so Peter thought. But what Peter didn't understand and what Jesus did understand was Peter couldn't do it without the Holy Ghost. Peter was living his life following the Lord. The Lord was his comforter, but Peter was not yet strong on his own. That's what we must understand concerning the disciples. They followed Jesus around and they did everything he told them. But when Jesus Christ left, they scattered and they ran away because they did not have the life of Christ. When Jesus was looking at Peter as he told him this, Jesus saw nothing but the flesh. Jesus saw nothing but a man that was following him, that believed, but he did not have the spirit yet to empower him to follow Christ and do what Jesus said, okay? So although Peter is trying very hard to convince the Lord that he's ready, the Lord knows that he's not. So notice in verse 36, it says, then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane and saith unto the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. So notice Jesus took his disciples right after, you know, they broke bread together and they fellowship together. He took them to Gethsemane. Now remember, Gethsemane means an oil, an oil press, but it also means a place of crushing. Why did Jesus Christ go here? Because he needed to die. He needed to burn off all the rest of the droves. He needed to get his will in line with his father. So he took the disciples into this place of crushing that he would be able to uh, finish the mission and what the father called him to do. 
So it says in verse 37, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. So Jesus knew that what was going to happen to him, he was familiar with Isaiah 53, that he would have to have his soul poured out unto death, that he was going to be crushed. He was going to be bruised. So he's getting himself ready here, but he's sorrowful and he's heavy. Just because he was a son of God doesn't mean he wanted to die. He still had to contend with his flesh to be able to be that sacrifice that the father needed. Look at verse 38. Then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So Jesus is asking to let the cup pass from him. Let's look up the word cup. This is G4221. That word means, you know, it says, uh, let's see, I'm in the wrong place. Sorry, G4121. And that word means a cup, a drinking vessel, or metaphorically, one's lot or experience, whether joyous or adverse. Then it says divine appointments, whether favorable or unfavorable, are likened to a cup which God presented one to drink, so of prosperity and adversity. So as you can see, this cup is what Jesus had to drink from. It wasn't a literal cup, but it was his faith. It was what he had to endure. It was what he had to ingest and swallow and deal with just so that he can have the father's will done. So Jesus is asking, Father, not my will, but let your will be done. But Jesus wants the cup to pass from him. But as Jesus can see, let's look at verse 40. And he cometh unto disciples, to the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, what, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So can you imagine anything being worse than you knowing that you've got to die? And you're dying for the people that you came with. You're dying for the people that are coming to kill you. You're dying for the generations to come and those that preceded. And your closest people to you are deciding to nap. Why is that? Because for one, they were in the flesh. They were not in the spirit. Two, this was Jesus's cross to bear. This was his cup that he had to drink for, drink from for the sins of the whole world. So imagine he's going back for help, trying to see if his brethren are praying with him and they're fast asleep. You know why? Because it's not their butts on the cross. It's not the burden that they have to bear. And this also tells us where we need to understand that we've got to work out our own salvation through fear and trembling. We have to make our calling and our, um, uh, you know, our, our calling, our calling sure, okay, within the Lord. So there are times that I can even say, I'm not Jesus, nor did I have an experience like this, but the Lord brings experiences that are relatable. That's one of the good things about being a minister or being someone that goes after disciples, 
because you can do a lot of things for people that they'll be ungrateful over that they don't understand yet. You know, things that you that you're excited about that you want to do for the Lord, you'll find out they're not that excited because it's not what God might have called them to do. So this is Jesus's cross to bear. He has to die. And he's telling his disciples to pray so that they don't fall into temptation, you know, but yet they wanted to sleep. Look at verse 42. He went away again the second time and prayed saying, oh, my father, if this cup may, may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. So notice he asked for the cup to pass from him, but he wanted to um, not drink from the cup, but he wanted to serve the will of his father. When he got no answer, then Jesus is growing stronger in this. He says, if this cup cannot pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. So he's getting more in line with what the will of his father is that, you know what? I may have to, I'm going to have to go through this, but if there is no other way outside of this, then let your will be done. Look at verse 43. And he came and found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. He says, rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand uh, that doth betray me. So Jesus had no help, no support. Jesus had to pray through for a breakthrough. If you look at the, um, uh, you know what, let's, uh, I wanna move on. I wanna go to uh, Mark 14 and we'll look at verse 32. I know this is sounding jumbled, but I'm just trying to make the point that Jesus had to go forward anyway, regardless of who wouldn't be with him, regardless of who didn't care that he had to die because that was the calling upon his life. If this place of Gethsemane is a place of crushing, then we've got to understand that that's what happens with you and I when we need to die out to self, when we need to get in line with what God wants. It's going to be a lonely walk at times. It's gonna be a walk that people won't understand. You will be persecuted. You will be afflicted. You will be mocked and scoffed and ridiculed because that would be our garden of Gethsemane. It is meant for you and I to deny self, to forget about self, to go on with the will of the living God. So let's go to Mark 14. I promise you this is all gonna make sense. Mark 14. And I wanna begin there at verse 32. We're gonna cover the same story again but we're gonna get more info concerning this and all that Jesus suffered. So this is Mark 14, look at verse 32. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. Remember, Gethsemane again is an oil press, okay? You can really call it a furnace of affliction. But anyway, and he saith to his disciples, sit ye here while I pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy and saith unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. So Jesus even made them aware of his condition and what he was feeling. And he went forward a little and fell on, his, on, fell on the ground 
and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldest not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were very heavy, or their eyes were heavy. Uh, neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go low. Uh, he, he that betrayeth me is at hand. So you see, Jesus, again, went through so much sorrowness, heaviness, afflicted, rejected. The very people claiming that they would be with him, pretty much, you know, I'm not going to say they turned on him, but they didn't really care because it wasn't their situation. So you see, it's so important that we get an understanding that if we're going to serve Jesus Christ, this is our cross to bear alone. Jesus tells us to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses and to follow after him. So you may not go through the garden of Gethsemane, but you will have a garden of Gethsemane experience and you will experience it for a long time if you walk with Christ. People will come in and out of your life all the time. There are marriages broken up over this. There are kids that, you know, that will disown you from this. There are parents that will disown kids, all because they don't understand that they must die out to self so that Jesus Christ can live. How can you and I do what Jesus Christ said if we've got a will that is separate from God? This is something that Jesus knew, but he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But you know, the father didn't answer him because in order for God's will to be done, he needs you and I to be able to go through. The very fact that we go through means that we burn off the life that is in us or, or our own will and our own world that we can serve the living God. But this is what Jesus is experiencing here. And I'm sorry, I gotta go through all this to show it, but I wanna go to Luke 22. And let's look at verse 23. And then from there, we're going to hear a video of Leonard Ravenhill, you know, called Gethsemane's Cup. OK, so let's look at Luke 22 and 23 to make this point. I know this may sound like mumble, but I'm trying to make a point here so that we will get it. Luke 22 and let's look at verse 23. And it says, and they began to inquire among themselves, when of, uh, which of them it was that should do this thing? And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest? And he said unto them, the king of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye, but ye shall not be so, but he that is the greatest among you, let him be as the younger 
and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at me or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at me, but I am among you as the um as he that serveth. So what Jesus was trying to get them to understand too, that this is not about you and I. This is not about the flesh. This is not about who's gonna be greatest, but the Lord was looking for the least. And he said, let the greatest among you be a servant. He called them all brethren. There should be no one that's lords over God's inheritance that we should all be to the state of humility that you're dealing with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. I don't even care if you're teaching. The bottom line is we need to be broken and contrite before our brothers and sisters, not wound up in pride, not trying to exercise authority over people or trying to make people your servants. But he made clear that him that would serve would be the greatest because you're trying to help other people grow. You're not worried about yourself. Look at verse 28, ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father hath appointed unto me. So notice Jesus promised them. He says that you guys are those that continued with him in his temptations. And then it says, and I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father hath appointed unto me. So you've got to go through the temptations. You've got to go through your trials. You've got to go through that place of crushing. You can be fit for the master's use, okay? Look at verse 30, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, uh, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that their faith, I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So the Lord made clear, Peter, I'm praying for you, but you're not yet converted. What is converted? Truly born again, born again of the spirit. He told Peter that when you are converted, then you go and strengthen your brothers. If you have not been converted, you cannot strengthen your brethren. What made Jesus make disciples? Jesus was born again. Jesus was full of the spirit. Jesus had everything that he needed so that he could win disciples. But as you notice, while he was winning disciples, while he was doing the will of the father, he was also suffering, okay? Because of the fact that he lived a denied life. But you know what? It wasn't about his flesh. It was all about the spirit concerning Jesus. So he says in verse 33, and he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before, before that thou hast uh, thrice, <laughs> before that thou shalt thrice uh, deny that thou knowest me. And he said unto them, when I sent you, without purse and script and shoes, lack ye anything? And they said nothing. Then he said unto them, but now he that hath a purse, let him take it and likewise his script. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this is, I mean that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. 
and he was um, reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. So Jesus was making very clear here, guys, my time has come. You know, you lacked nothing. You had all these things, but you know, when I provided for you, but I'm getting ready to die. I'm getting ready to go through. I'm getting ready to not be here. So he says, yeah, you better go and save money and, and stuff for your purse now. And if you don't have swords, buy two, you know, buy swords. He wasn't telling them to carry swords and to fight with. He was telling them that times are going to be that bad that this has become a time of war. Now, if you, leave, you read later in the um, uh, chapter, you know that Jesus was making clear that, you know what, let me just read this. I just wanna make this point. So he says in verse 38, and they said, Lord, behold here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. And he came out and went as he, as he was wont to the Mount of Olives and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. So the bottom line is Jesus took them also, like in this account, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said the same thing to them, to pray that you don't enter into temptation, that you've got to be strong. This is the point to be prayed up. Verse 41, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. So what did Jesus do? He prayed through. He prayed through that veil. And an angel of the Lord came to give Jesus strength to endure. So just because we're baptized in the spirit doesn't mean that we don't need to do anything else. We've got to have a prayer life. This was the biggest trial in the life of Jesus Christ because this was his place to be tried. This was his place to be crushed. This was his trial that he needed to get through. And he called on the father for his help. And the father sent an angel to strengthen Jesus to get him ready. Verse 44, and being in the agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood uh, falling down to the ground. And some people think that this is some type of metaphor that Jesus was sweating drops of blood. You know, this can actually be done. This is called hematidrosis or something like that, but it's a medical condition that when you're under extreme stress, you can bust vessels in your face and in your head that will allow your uh, blood to pour in through, through your sweat glands. So he was under such extreme stress that he, he sweated great drops of blood. But you know, once again, he prayed through, he broke through. And when the father didn't answer him for a separate will, then Jesus went according to the will of the father. But what, what needed to happen in the garden of Gethsemane is Jesus needed to be crushed. He needed the rest of the flesh. He needed all the will that he might've had that was separate taken from him because only broken vessels can be filled. I said all that to say this, guys. Now we're gonna hear a quick clip of Leonard Ravenhill and this should be good. And then we're gonna relate this Gethsemane experience to the gospel, all right? This is important. So let's uh, play Leonard Ravenhill real quick. 
Hopefully it's not too loud. All right. If you guys can't hear it, put it in the message box that you can't. But either way, this video is in the description box so you guys will hear it. You hear a lot of people talking about melanin. You got people talking about the pineal gland. Everybody's That's not it, guys. Sorry. Oh, nobody's really giving them. What does he say? Father, if it be possible, may this cup pass away from me. But if I drink it, then thy will be done. What was in that cup? I've told the story before, I'll tell it again. In the largest church I pastored, I was in my 20s. I think it was at the Tabernacle in Oldham outside of Manchester. And going down the street one day, as I, I it was five minutes of five, I remember, and as I went past the door of this very humble kind of place, this lady put her head up and said, I know who you are, you're the pastor of the tabernacle. I said, that's right. I've been to the tabernacle, I usually sit at the back. I, I, I'm very poor, and I can't have anything to put in your offering. Right. And she said, you, you come in my house and have a cup of tea. I said, no, I'm sorry, it's five minutes of five. And I'm due for tea, as we say in England, or supper at five o'clock. No, that's not the reason. That's not the reason. You won't be coming because I'm poor. And it isn't a nice house like some of your folk. I'll come in. I'll come in. I went in. Kind of a house you go in and only knows as you go in, you know. I've never, I've been in some big styles of a house, but never one like that, I'll tell you that. I sat down at the table and the... the there was just about this much space to get from the door, the front door, and it was all stacked up with books. She bought them at a junk shop down the road. She'd read thousands of them. The table was full. And there was a little space at the sink, and then there was a, a big sink. It was piled up with dishes. She hadn't had a washing up of dishes, I'm sure, for months. And there's a nice piece of bacon, and it, had, uh, it was all green and moldy, you know. Real appetizing kind of thing. What do you call that? Stuff you get off mold? Penicillin. Need fifty dollars worth of penicillin on that thing, I'm sure. And she didn't even know. She said, "You do bring tea?" I said, "Yes." He said, "All right." And she had a teapot that had been white once, and that it was all messed up on the outside. And she reached in the sink and took a cup out that was all slimy on the outside and as i looked in it the tea leaves and some corruption in the bottom and and she just took that black tea and she poured it in that cup and she said you take cream <laughs> i said yes i do she said i don't have any you take sugar yeah i don't have any you know, as, as she held her fingernails were all in mourning, they were covered with dirt, and she held that filthy cup out uh, with that rotten, cold tea, with no sugar, no cream, no anything. And I looked at it, and I, I kind of, I guess I shrunk off from it, you know, she said, drink it. You know, as I put my hand out to take that cup, Right there, never forgotten. My mind just went 2,000 miles away from it.
Jerusalem to a place called at that time Palestine and 2,000 years back to this man in the garden when the father said, drink it. Drink it. Well, that's enough to lay us out, surely. He's the essence of purity. He's the essence of holiness. He was harmless and undefiled and separate from sinners, and yet he takes the most horrible thing this world has ever had, symbolic of all the sin of all the ages. You can mention it, all the physical corruption, lesbianism, and the lousy, rotten, corrupt thing that sends men to jail, that makes men rot in their bodies. Every vicious thing, the pride and the anger and all the other things, the sins of the flesh, the sins of the spirit, and they're all there, and he took that cup. There's nobody there to sustain him. Except, of course, again, the Father. And the men that he trained were all lying around snoring. That's the thing that got to me. The more I studied it, the more I meditated over it today. Don't blame them. For heaven's sake, don't criticize those disciples. They never had a volume of 66 books on the lap. They were still doubtful in their minds. I'm sure that he would rise from the dead. What kind of a judgment do you think the church is going to have when we get to the judgment seat with all the knowledge we have and all the light we have? And all the versions we have? Why did he do it? Why did he do it? He did it for this reason. He said right through his life, all that he did, everything he did, pleased the Father. And you remember the verse that says, for the joy that was set before him, he suffered the cross, despising the shame. Now, I don't believe there's any, I don't believe he had any joy in hanging on a cross. This is the ultimate goal why I came into the world. That I might please the Father. It's the only way that redemption could be completed. So Jesus waited patiently while they slept in the most critical hour of his life. Uh, you may not agree with me, that's all right. But I believe that's exactly what the church is doing now in the most critical hour since she was founded. She's sleeping and therefore failing her Lord in this most critical of all critical hours in history. You may not, you're much younger, you've got hotter blood maybe, but it, it still is, uh, it, uh, doesn't have all the effect. I guarantee you could count on one hand, or maybe one finger, the last time you came out of the sanctuary where you were subdued with the glory of God. You were awed with His majesty. It's critical really, that millions of people this Sabbath day will go to God's house, but they don't know the person that owns the house. Would you go and knock at somebody's door, a house you didn't know? You knock at the door and tell us, what do you want? I don't really know. Who are you? Well, I live in this house. And yet people are content to go Sunday after Sunday and never meet the owner of the house. Just atmosphere, just emotion. I think we get fascinated with events rather than the Son of God himself. If you're more excited about the coming of Jesus than you are about the presence of Jesus, you better do some thinking. It's his presence that matters. 
You know, I, I tried to filter through this 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 afternoon and say to myself, if I had just a, a ten-minute speech out of the Word of God, what would it be? Well, I, my choice would be this: I would I would just I, I'm not sure I could bear it, but at least I'd ask for it. And I would ask to hear the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I think it's the most wonderful thing that human lips ever uttered. You know these brave, we've all done it. All to Jesus, I surrender, we sing it over and over, and then we're enjoying the week, and it's a choice between this and that, we choose that, not him. Fair meeting? Well, not tonight, it's wet. Some other choice. How easy it is to be apparently sincere and yet really hardly knowing our own hearts because it, it's emotion that stirs us to say, yes, Lord, look, all this bunch, you can't, you can't, I mean, you can't trust Thomas, you know, he's got a streak of doubt in him and, and John's a bit weak, but me, Peter, I can read them all. So if you get into a jam, you know this, that Peter is behind you all the way, well, he wasn't, was he? Now, this is, this is a non-repeated, it's an unrepeated act, like everything Jesus did. The virgin birth has never been repeated. Gethsemane has never been repeated, and it is unrepeatable. It never will happen again. It doesn't have to happen. And then the death of Jesus is unrepeatable, and the resurrection. And they're sleeping. Dear Lord, I... I as I read this again and I thought how he waited for them, he could hear them maybe snoring and turning over and thinking, yes, another hour, maybe another hour, the daylight will come. And you wake up, you've been through the most amazing night in history, and it passed over you like that. And you know, I think we're doing the same thing very much in the church. Just Sunday again, so we go to church Sunday morning, well, with a lovely choir, and a nice pastor, we'll have a nice time. I said to you before, and I say it to myself often, I believe the perennial challenge of the believer is this. Come down from the cross and save yourself. Other people are not fasting like you fast. Other people don't spend as much time in prayer. Other people don't husband their money and use it and give it to missions. Other people are not investing for eternity like you are. Why, why be the oddball? Everybody in church says you're a nice person, but they think you're a fanatic behind. They say, she's gone, you know, she's gone overboard. Hmm? You notice nobody ever says you can get too rich. No one says you get you can get too well educated. But oh, be careful you don't get to be too spiritual. See, the main trouble if you get too spiritual is you'll show how unspiritual they are. And that's what they're afraid of. They're not afraid of your spirituality so much as the fact that they're a kind of a withered branch that hasn't got any fruit. How many times do you wake up in the morning, even Sabbath day or any day, and say, He's risen, He's alive, and because He's alive, I shall live today? Don't blame the world for not believing it. Every day should be a celebration. We're not of the world. Oh, dear, 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 how earthbound we get. We think on the level of others so often. 
you see, we're, we're getting away, we're so getting tied up with gifts and, and you've got to some meetings, all you hear is prophecy, 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 miracles, miracles, miracles. And all the time we're missing the most essential things. Miracles won't save you. Prophecy won't come to you in a time of trouble. It's the Son of God himself that we need to know. <clears throat> Not the doctrine of the Son of God, the person of the Son of God. If you sing on to Jesus, I surrender, maybe you'll come back and see you do surrender too. You may have to surrender some friendship, you may have to surrender a career. It may be you'll wreck all the things that for years you've thought about as being the very thing God wants you to do, and you suddenly find, find it isn't. It's something you want you to do for God, not somebody something that God wanted you to do for Him. The first should be last, the last should be first. God has some marvelous saints hidden away. And you know, I want to get the best, not just for my own sake, I want to do that that pleases the Father. And if you go to a Gethsemane, remember, he'll bring the soul. If everybody fails you, it's lonely. Loneliness is bad enough, but when it's pitch dark, it's worse. When you're deserted by the best folk, that's, that complicates a little bit further. And when you think people are spiritual and you suddenly find their crisis are worse than anybody else, that's good, that's, that's according to the book, don't worry about it. Okay, so that was Leonard Ravenhill. I don't know if people were able to hear it. Like I said, it is in the description box if you guys want to check it out. But there is a point there where he talks about a woman that he invited into his house. I mean, a woman invited her, him, into her house. And she lived in a poor area or whatever. And he told her, well, I don't really have time. I got to hurry up and get to you know church and do what he needs to do. He had an appointment. And she said, I know what it is. You don't want to come into my house. Hey, Sister Tara. She, she said, I know what it is. You don't want to come into my house because I'm poor. And he said, all right, fine. Let me go in. So he goes in and she asked him if he liked tea. And he said, um, sure, I drink tea. But he said when he went into the house, the house was filthy. It was dirty and nasty. He said, man, it was a pigsty. He had to actually hold his nose to be able to go in there. You know, her dishes were piled up to the sink. Her fingernails, he said, were in mourning. They were full of dirt and all of this. And she um, asked him, you know, if he liked cream. And he said, um, yeah, sure. And she said, well, we don't have any cream. So she just had cold black coffee in a dirty cup that had, you know, backwash. Or I think the lip, um, lip prints were all around the outside of the cup. And she wanted him to drink it. And he looked at the cup. And he said his mind went back 2,000 years to Jesus Christ, how Jesus Christ had to endure the cup that he drank that was full of sin, lesbianism, I mean, you know, all kinds of crimes, all kinds of filthy sexual uh, things that were going on, all that he died for, all the filth, even those who committed abortion, all these things were in that cup. And Jesus had to drink that cup like a guilty person even though he was innocent. And thank God for Jesus, you know, because Leonard Ravenhill is bringing up the point here that 
you know, there's a lot of things that God wants to be able to take from us, things that, that will allow us to bear our cross and follow after Jesus Christ. He said some of those things can be some of these friendships that we made that are not of God, that God doesn't want us to be around. He says they could even be, you know, your jobs or certain things God wants you to part with. There could be even work in the ministry that we think that we were supposed to be able to do, you know, and really we did it for God, but it wasn't God's call for us. So you see in the place of Gethsemane, which is the place of crushing, this is where we get it right. This is where we get conformed to what God wants and we walk in his will alone. But I'll tell you the biggest problem for Christians is not so much that we have to try to follow the Lord, it's that we don't die out to self so that we can follow the Lord. Because as you know it, a dead man can't do anything but remain dead. But Jesus Christ wants you and I to be able to die out to self and that we can walk with the Lord, okay? The reason why we don't walk with the Lord and we don't get to the fullness of what the Lord calls us to is because we are still alive to self. We've got to die out to self. How do we do that? Through fasting, through prayer, through, um, uh, what do you call it? Fasting, prayer, and um, just denying ourselves in worldly life, spending time with God, doing the things that he wants. Why is this important? Because the flesh itself does not like to do spiritual things. Your flesh will never like Jesus. That's why it's got to go. As long as your flesh is alive, you will never be able to serve Jesus Christ the way that he calls you to because your flesh has a will of its own. So that's what we're gonna be talking about, dying out to self, dying out to the desires of us, dying out to our own will that we may pursue the Lord's will. The Lord said, unless you hate father, mother, sister, brother, and you know, all these different things, husband and wife, children, and your own life, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Does he mean hate? No, he's talking about unless you can take being hated by them, unless you can put Jesus Christ before them, you can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's why this is so important that our will gets broken and God's will becomes ours. And when you've got that, you've got the, the old wine, you got the new wine jar or the new wine vessel that can house the new wine because you will do what your father, your heavenly father and Jesus Christ, our Lord will tell you to do. You will ebb and flow as the spirit goes. You will not have a um, schedule of your own. Jesus says the wind bloweth where it listeth and neither can anyone tell the sound thereof when, when it's coming and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. So we've got to get to that place with God where we are dead to self and we allow the Lord to work through us. What are the first stages of this? Romans 12, one and two. Now we beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You've got to present your body as a living sacrifice so that the Lord can use it work through it just like he did Jesus so that you can have the father's will done 
with the life of Christ in you reaching other people. The problem is we try. What we need to do is start dying, dying out to self, dying out to the will of the Lord, dying to get rid of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The less you feed the old man, he will die. When you stop, when you start starving out the old man, he dies out and you begin to pick up the spiritual appetites of the Lord. And you see, this itself will change our nature that we can walk with God. Because a lot of people might have had like, let's just say alcohol or drug problems, and they stopped doing the drugs and the alcohol, but they've never denied the flesh. So what happens? They become gluttonous. They pick up other habits that can keep the demons around or can keep their lustful appetites around. They may even fornicate. Okay, I can do this. This makes me feel better. But what we need to do is to give it all to Christ, to die out to self and let the Lord work. All right, so let's get started. Now, this is where we're going to get into the teaching. Let's go to Matthew 16. You see, Jesus went to that garden of Gethsemane to be broken. And isn't it amazing how what Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden, Jesus Christ gave up all to restore in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is the first and the last. Thank you, Jesus. You see, all the gospel is significant. All the word of God is. But the question we need to be asking is, how does it relate to the gospel? That's what's most important. So let's look at verse 19. And he says, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever shall be loosed on earth, I mean, thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What is he talking about? Giving them his authority. Then he says in verse 20, then charged he, his disciples, that then should tell no man that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to shew unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and to be killed and to be raised again the third day. So Jesus was making them aware of what would come because if they're gonna be on a journey with him, you know, it would have been very deceiving if Jesus says, I'll be around with you guys forever and we're going to be conquerors in this thing completely. Because had he done that, the disciples would have been really confused and they would have called Jesus a liar. But you see, Jesus went according to what his will was that he had to die. He had to be crushed. He had to be mangled so that he could be raised on that third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Not of the things that be of God, but are of men. So you see, I want to stop right here, and I want to get into something concerning this, because Jesus knew what his fate was, and that was to bear his cross. That was to live a life of self-denial. It was already prophesied in Isaiah 53 that this is what would happen to Jesus. But as you can see, Jesus wants the same thing to occur with us. Not that we go and wait in a garden for, for us to be persecuted, but that he's telling us we have to live a life 
of self-denial. And you see, a lot of us know what this Bible says, and they know what the gospel says, and they know what the calling of their life is, and they know what it is to follow a Christian. But the problem is, as we talked about those enemies of the cross, which Peter is being right now through the inspiration of the devil, Peter is attaching his will and his emotional feelings to the calling upon Jesus Christ's life. And you can't do that. If God calls for you to do a thing, that thing must be done. No matter how sensual, no matter how fleshly, no matter how well-spoken and heartwarming the message is to keep you and I from going to the cross, that is the enemy of the cross of Christ. That's evil, that's satanic. Anyone that speaks against fasting, anyone that speaks against what the Bible says, pray without ceasing, that goes against the spirit of God because God's desire for you and I is to die out to self that Jesus Christ can live in us, to give life to the new man and not the old. And this is not being taught in a lot of places. So when people tell you, you don't need to deny yourself, Jesus loves you no matter what, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ because Peter, although he had love in his heart, Jesus says, you savor is not the things that be of God, but the things that are of men. So when God calls you to do a thing, I don't care how crazy it looks to people. If that's his calling upon your life, you do it, okay? But when people try and talk you out of the will of God, man, you gotta cut those things off. You gotta move those things aside because the last thing you want to be is stunted from doing what God calls you to do. Where God is gonna lead every single Christian, where Jesus Christ wants to lead you and I is directly to that cross. Not that we may try, but that we may die. You must die out to self to walk with Jesus Christ because your will will be separate from his, okay? So he's told Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, and you are an offense unto me because you savor, you go after, you desire the things that, that are not of God, but the things that are of men. He says, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So God's desire is Jesus's desire. If any man is gonna walk after Christ, if any man is going to do what Jesus said to do, then you've got to have your garden of Gethsemane experience, which is your place of crushing. What is that to you and I today? That is the cross. That is the cross. The cross is your garden of Gethsemane to die out to self and, and follow Jesus Christ. So first he says, let them deny themselves. Second, take up your cross. That's your daily burden to live for Christ. That'll be hard for people at first because you're used to the flesh. But that's why Jesus told them in the garden, the flesh is willing. I mean, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So what do we do? Why do we go to the cross? Why was Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane? To train the flesh to obey the spirit. He had to kill the rest of it off at that point so that he could get to that cross. Okay, when those guys were sleeping, when they weren't there for Jesus Christ, in many ways, they were the enemies, but it wasn't their cross to bear yet. And Peter told the Lord he would be with you. That's what Lenny Ravenel said. Peter said, yeah, I've got your back. Let's do it. 
But when the time came, Peter was walking afar off. Instead of Peter being in the fire with Jesus, Peter was warming his hands by the fire. He wanted no part of it. But you see, that fire, that trial, that Garden of Gethsemane, that cross is meant for you and I to do one thing, that is to be tried, that is to die, that is to be crushed so that the life of Jesus Christ will spring forward in us. So then he says in verse 25, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? That's something to think about. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus said. But you see what the enemies of the cross will do? Well, he said it, but he meant it metaphorically. He meant that you can deny some things, but he's not asking you to deny your own life. That's what he says here. You've got to lose a life for a life. You've got to die out and mind, body, soul, and spirit that you may have the mind of Christ. You may have the spirit of Christ. Jesus will walk in your body and get his will done. If any man, any man, any man comes after Jesus Christ, you've got to deny yourself. He didn't say pieces of yourself. He said, deny yourself, pick up that cross and walk with him. Because a lot of us may go to the cross. Some of us may pick up the cross, but how many of us want to lay on the cross? You see, we've got to get on that cross if we are going to be the new man, which is Christ, which is a life of self-denial. All right, so let me move on. I wanna go to another spot. Let's go to John chapter 12. So you may cover some ground with the Lord, but it'll be hard for you to get to other areas with him. And that's why through relationship, we're gonna talk about how to do this, how to be set free. Because what God wants is what matters most. All right. So let's look at verse 23. No, actually, I wanna to get to where they asked Jesus a question. Let's go to verse 21. This is John 12. Let's look at verse 21. And it says, the same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him saying, sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the son of man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So as you can see, Jesus used the Garden of Gethsemane to make, I mean, not the Garden of Gethsemane, this parable to make the point that he says, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. What's keeping evangelism from taking place with the people of God is we're still alive. We refuse to die. If a tree stands by itself, and the tree never drops seeds to be able to um, you know, die and let fruit come up, then that tree would be standing there alone. What benefit is that? 
What benefit would it have been to Jesus? This is the brilliance of God. What benefit would it have been if Jesus came and showed us all holiness, got full of the spirit, but didn't die out to self daily to touch one life? What, what benefit would that have been to us? So his life, the life that he lived, you know, qualifies us to live the same way. The death that he died qualified us for the life that we live now. The very fact that he denied himself to get a job done in his father, which is to go into that place of crushing, to allow his life to flow. We would never be where we need to be right now or never be able to even get there. So he says in verse 25, he that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into this hour. So Jesus is making clear, why would I ask my father to save me from this hour when this is my fate, that I might die, be broken up, be crushed, so that my life can flow into another? This is what we're missing as Christians. We're so concerned about our careers. We're so concerned about our marriages. We're so concerned about our children and all the things that we want, all that we can have here. But because we have not denied self, we can't go in and even tell people about Jesus. We can't get on the path and do what Jesus says. I'm not saying forsake your kids. I'm not saying forsake your marriages. And you know, whatever God leads you to do in your career, whatever. But the point I'm making is these things cannot have preeminence over the will of God. If we're that alive to the world and we're living just like the world, we can't win souls. You see, I don't feel like doing this every day. I don't feel like, you know, hosting study three times a week or whatever's going on. There are times I really don't. There are times I'm tired. I just want to have a night to myself. But the spirit of God tells me, no, we need to get out there. We need to feed the homeless. You need to preach that word. There may be someone new coming on here that has never heard of Jesus that may give their lives to Jesus. So as much as I may, you know, there are times I murmur and complain, you know, the spirit tells me, oh man, dry those tears and get doing what I'm telling you to do. Because you know what? For me, the best is yet to come. I haven't discovered pressure yet, but pressure is coming. Jesus referred to that as the hour and power of darkness. Why was he able to go through it? Because he lived a life of self-denial. And none of us are going to get through these trials until we're able to forsake self to walk with Christ. That's when, when we truly do what the Lord tells us to do. As he said, that corn has to fall unto the earth and die to bring forth life. You and I have to die to bring forth life. So let's move on. I wanna to go to another place. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15 and let's look at verse 19. Let the Lord take things out of your life. Let him do it. That way it'll be, it'll be in the righteous way, the way that he wants it to. But I'm telling you, I know there's some people that may listen to this 
And, you know, you can be at home and the kids and the husband and everybody's fine or the wife, they're all fine. But you start getting into this, start listening, watch your kids run around the house fighting and going crazy. Watch turmoil erupt. Watch an argument with your wife or husband may spring forward. Why? Because the devil does not want you hearing this about self-denial, dying out to self and giving all to Christ. You see, there are things that try and keep us alive and we've got to know what those things are so that we can die and be one with Jesus. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 19. He says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now, in, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So you know, through Adam, through his sin, you and I live with that curse today. We are subject to death, but thank God for Jesus and what he did in the Garden of Gethsemane to allow all those who are dead to be resurrected who died in Christ. Verse 22 says, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits afterwards, they that are Christ at his coming. So as you can see, Jesus was the first fruits, the first to be turned, the first to have the glorified body, the first to die out to self, the first to endure the cross, the first to be ascended up and came back with a glorified body. But you and I, we're gonna get hours upon that resurrection. What Jesus endured for the, in the, on the cross for six hours, what he endured in the garden of Gethsemane all night, all those things were meant to, you know, tie to our lives, the way that we live. What he endured for one day, you know, with all that agony, all that torment, all that praying and pressing through and all that heaviness is what you and I will go through for a lifetime until we get that glorified body. So it says, uh, I believe I'm in verse 24, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the father, when he shall put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he have put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that is destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted of which did put all things under him. So what we got to understand too here is when he says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The only way that you and I will do the Lord's will is if we don't fear death. And what would cause us not to fear death is if we're dead already in Christ. See, that's what a life of self-denial does. It tells you that you're not here. You're not home. You're not in heaven yet. There's nothing really to enjoy here except the things that God has given us through his grace, like your parents, your children, your husband or wife. But even those things have their limitations. So death is an enemy to man because if man died outside of Christ, he would not be resurrected, at least not to eternity with Christ. You know, he would go to hell. So the very fact that Jesus came and gave us his spirit and gave us the spirit that we may die out daily and endure this life to serve the living God. God has enabled you and I 
to have enemy, I mean, have death under our feet. Because a real Christian doesn't fear death. A real Christian says, hey man, if I die, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we've got to get to that place of not having fear of man, not having fear of death, not having fear of what they want to do to us, but that we may be alive to Christ and alive to his will alone. So he says um, in verse 28, and when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all and in all. So you see, God wants for us to have all things in all. Jesus Christ should be a part of everything. He should be a part of your life, uh, you know, in, in every way not just in church, not just when you're alone in study, Jesus Christ should anchor your life so that we may have Christ all and in all, in all things. Verse 29, else what should I do? What, should, what shall they do which are baptized for the day? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. So Paul is dying out to self daily to be able to, you know, walk in the ways of Jesus Christ. When he talked about buffeting his body and subduing it, he was speaking of dying out daily so that the spirit of God can anchor him. See, now we know when it's time to go on a fast because you become sluggish, you become lazy, you become lethargic, you start to desire the things of the flesh. So a good old fast for a couple of days or whatever kind of gets you right back in track. Usually you can tell when your flesh is growing strong because you develop a will of your own that doesn't wanna read the Bible. You don't wanna pray, you don't wanna minister to people. Even outside, you become timid in preaching the gospel because the flesh is stronger but God wants us to subdue this flesh and grow in spirit. That's why if you read later in this chapter, it says, oh death, where is thy sting? And then he says, the strength of sin is the law. Why is death? Um, why is the sting of death taken away? Because if you die in Christ, what difference does it make? God wants us to get to that place of heaven being more real than the earth that we live on in time and space. Our minds have to be able to transcend and walk with God so that we are not overcome and conform to the world. That's what this is about. All right, so I just wanna um, make that point that we've got to die daily to walk with Jesus Christ. Let's look at Romans chapter six. Thank you, Jesus. All right, Romans chapter six, let's look at verse one. Listen to the words of Paul. What shall I say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So, you know, a lot of people under the law will ask me this question. They'll ask me, so you're saying, if I don't follow the old Mosaic law to just go into sin, just do anything become a homosexual, run around, just live my life freely with no rules. That's not what I'm saying at all. So Paul is asking the question, what shall I say then? 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So as you can see, we need to die out to self so that we can become dead to sin. So we won't live any longer therein. Look at verse three. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? So did you not know when you went down in water or being baptized in the spirit even that you were baptized into the death of Christ? So you have to be outside of self. You're being baptized unto him. So a lot of people don't know that you were baptized unto his death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So you see the new man should not resemble the old man. I made the argument before when you look at Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul. When he was Saul, he was a persecutor of the church. He went after Christians. I mean, you know, he hated God. He thought he was serving them. But then when Paul got saved, when Jesus revealed himself to him, Paul became the new life. Paul became the new man. And isn't it funny how God had to give Paul a new set of eyes? He had to give Paul a fresh new perspective. Paul had to be born again, not to resemble the old life, but to walk in the new one. So we should be serving Jesus in newness of life. The first chapter of your life before getting saved was all yours. You can thank Adam for that. But the next chapter going forward is you starting with Jesus Christ in you, being born in you and growing to fullness that he can get a job done in you. That's the second phase of your life. It belongs to Jesus. Look at verse five. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So if you and I live a life of self-denial, then we will be raised on that last day. If we let the Lord dictate our lives, we will no doubt follow Jesus unto the resurrection and be raised just like him. Look at verse six, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So you see, our old body needs to be destroyed. That's why we fast and pray. That's why we die out daily. That's why a Christian cannot live the life of a worldly person. That's why it's important in many ways that we not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's why it's so important that we get to the place of, you know, denying everything to let the Lord pick your friends. All the brothers and sisters that I have in the Lord now, the Lord chose every single one. I did not find one for self. One way or another, the Lord brought us close that we can fellowship together and be of a like precious faith. We've got to trust God with our friends. We've got to trust the Lord with our marriages and situations and things that we go through because God can pick better friends for you than you can ever pick for yourself. So be patient, let the Lord work, let him do what he needs to do. But you see, even waiting is a sign of self-denial, which also subdues the flesh. Why? Because it gives you patience. Also gives you faith, you know, and everything else that God wants us to have. So he says in verse seven, for he that is dead is freed from sin. 
So, you know, that's what you want. If we're dead, we're freed from sin. You want to know if you're dead? You're going to stop sinning the way that you did before. You're going to live a life completely different. You don't steal anymore. You don't lie anymore. You don't look for the worldly life anymore because of the fact that you know. I mean, it's not even that you can't do it. You don't want to. Of course, he'll send you in the world to meet people. Of course, you'll meet people that you can minister to. But this is all about dying out to self and letting the Lord dictate what we do. He says in verse eight, now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So if we're dead, you know, with Christ, then we're going to believe that we should live with him. That's why Paul was able to say, I've got a crown of righteousness laid up for me and not to me only, but unto all them that long for the appearing of Jesus Christ. Why could Paul speak so boldly? Because he gave everything to Christ. The first part of his life, he worked for the Roman empire. He worked for the Pharisees. The second phase of his life, he gave all things to God, even if it meant his own death. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. That's walking the way that God tells you to. Look at verse nine. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. So when Jesus died out to self, and even when he died and was raised, death didn't have any more dominion over Jesus. Neither did sin. They could not rule over him. Because you see, most times we sin because the flesh itself is still alive. If we subdue the flesh, the devil has nothing to grab onto. He can't grab onto you and pull you into the world because your mind and your spirit are ruling your life. So a Christian is not going to be into Jay-Z you know, uh, albums and videos. A Christian is not going to be down at the bar drinking with the rest of the people. You see how the rich only get rich off of sinners. They don't get rich off of Christians because Christians live denied lives. You're not going to be buying up every pair of shoes you see through the lust of the eyes in the lust of the flesh. You're not going to be whoremongering and running after women trying to see how many you can sleep with. When you deny self, the devil has no hooks to engage you, and that sets you free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Given death, what? No more dominion over Christ. Jesus took the keys of death and hell, and he determines who lives and who dies. And if we be full of Christ and we live as he lived, death can't tell you what to do because death has no power over you. So look at verse 11, likewise reckon. Well, actually verse 10, he says, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So that's why it's important that we present our bodies. That's the first step because God wants to take this body and work with it. We have to stop stealing and withholding from God 
what is rightfully his. If we are the temple of the living God, then this body belongs to the Lord. You don't have a right to choose your wife or husband. You let God do it. You don't have a right to go and choose your job anymore when you're born again. You let God do it. You don't choose how you want to serve him. You let God do it, okay? Because when we're led by the spirit, he's only going to lead us according to his will. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, but ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So he makes clear here in verse 16, who we yield our members to, we are the servants of. Now you know why Jesus went after being baptized into the wilderness to subdue all of his flesh. Because if Jesus's flesh would have obeyed this, the devil, then Jesus himself would have been subject to the devil. We can't sin and say that we're servants of Jesus Christ because for all those who are servants of Jesus Christ are dead to sin. You see, and that's why it's important that we die daily so that we fall in line with what God wants. But you can't be a sinner and be a servant of Christ. What happens is, although we may serve him, we'll serve him part-time. We'll give him part-time and we'll give the devil part-time. One minute we're in the spirit with Jesus doing what he says, and the next minute we're in the world living in sin. We've got to be able to let the spirit of God through sanctification take it from us and endue us with power. That's why we need the baptism in the Holy Ghost so that we can go according to what God tells us to do. This is essential for us because the Bible says, Jesus says in John 16, that the Holy Ghost will bring you and I into all truth and righteousness. So he's not gonna leave you in ignorance. He's not gonna leave you in sin. He's gonna make clear the things that are offensive to God so that we can move them out of our lives. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. He will prick your conscience when you say the wrong things, when you do the wrong things, when you've got the wrong things around you that need to go. The Holy Ghost will convict you of this because he's cleaning out your house for us to grow in the spirit. This is how we die daily. Verse 17 says, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. So again, I told you what God tells us is not that we're supposed to obey the old Mosaic law. His goal is to make you righteous. You could never be made righteous by the old Mosaic law. I'll say that again, because if that were true, we wouldn't have to constantly have had sacrifices for sins. We only got to make one sacrifice. There was only one sacrifice made for you and I, and that was what Jesus did on the cross. Now we have to offer our bodies to Christ so that he can live in it, lead it to the cross, crucify it, and have his will done. That's salvation. That's how we get stay saved, and that's how we stay saved. 
you and I could never get rid of sin, but Jesus Christ growing in you and forming in you, the new man being fed, okay? That's the man that can walk this thing out. Not you and I, we're the old man, but Jesus Christ forming in you is the new man. And he's the only one that can make us righteous. He's the only one to roam this earth free from his birth. And he's the only one that can take you and I into eternity. Verse 19 says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto, unto iniquity, uh, even so now yield your members, servants of righteousness unto holiness. For when we were the servants of sin, we were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye uh, then in those things? whereof ye are now ashamed for the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants of God, ye are your fruit. I mean, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. That's the other thing the law could not do. It could not bear fruit. What are they called? The fruit of the spirit. Are they called the fruit of the law? No. They are the fruit of the spirit, which are love, joy, peace, long suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And as the Bible says in verse 24, and for such, there is no law. There is no law to govern the fruit of the spirit because you can have as much love as you want. You can have as much temperance, which is self-control as you want. You can have as much faith as God will allow. You can do all things. You can have joy. You can have peace. You can be full. There's no law to govern that. And see, the law was not made for a righteous man. It was made for sinners, for the ungodly, okay? When you look at the fact that if you're going down the highway, and you're not speeding and you see a police officer come, you know he's not looking for you. Why? Because you go within the law of the spirit. But if you're speeding, if you're transgressing, if you're doing things out there you shouldn't be doing, the moment you see that cop, your conscience is going to be pricked because you know there's a chance he may come after you because you're breaking the law. You see, I want to obey the law by the spirit so that I can grow in his grace. If you really wanna live in the law, the Bible says you're gonna be judged by it, okay? So that's something to think about. I'd rather die out to self and let Jesus do it than for me to attempt to do it myself. Ooh. So anyway, he says in verse 22, but now being made free from sin and become servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and to the end of everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You and I are only gonna reach uh, eternal life through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Let's look at Colossians 3. Colossians chapter three. I just want to make a couple of points here. 
Hopefully we get some understanding tonight about that Garden of Gethsemane. We've got to die. God will allow you to get into a place of crushing so that Christ can be brought forth. What's a good example of this? Daniel chapter three. You guys remember what happened in Daniel chapter three? The three Hebrew boys would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image, okay? And because of that, Nebuchadnezzar uh, threw them in the fire, you know? And uh, when they got there, Jesus Christ was in the fire with them. The son of God was in the fire with them. We're only going to bring forth Christ when we die out to self. You've got to get in a place of pressure. You look at that church in China right now. I mean, you know, that church is purged because anybody that would wanna be a Christian in China, okay, you've either gotta be dead to self or you've got to be crazy. There is no in between, but those people are serving God under the worst possible conditions. My, my brothers in Africa, my brothers and, and sisters in uh, you know, Iran and all these Muslim countries and all these places where people wanna kill Christians, they're in their garden of Gethsemane. They're in their place of crushing. And when God gets through with them in that, what God is gonna see in those churches and in those Christians is his own reflection. Just like gold, gold is yellow, has a lot of impurities in it. But once gold has been purified and cooked up and those impurities flee from it, then you know when gold is pure, when you can see your reflection in it. That's what Jesus Christ is expecting to see in you and I. He does not want to see you. He wants to see Christ in you. Colossians 3, look at verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So I'll read that again. Guys, listen close. If ye then be risen with Christ, if you are the new man, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid in Christ in God or with Christ in God. So when you're dead to self, he says your life is hid with Christ. Paul says in Galatians 2, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not yet I, but Christ liveth in me. That's what this is about. Jesus Christ living in us and working through us. He says in verse four, when Christ who is our life, Christ who is our life, you guys hear that? Shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, what does mortify means? It means to kill. That word for mort means death. When you pay a mortgage, you're paying an agreement unto death. Okay, so when he says mortify, Mortify therefore your members, kill them, subdue them, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things say the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So see, we got two ways that we can do this. The first way is Jesus took your sin for you. Okay, he was crushed. He was broken. He poured out his soul unto death so that we can live. So if we rest in Christ, we're home free. We allow Jesus to grow in us and work in us under his grace. We're home free because Jesus is going to walk in you like he did then. But you can even 
deny that and just say, well, he said it is finished, but I don't believe it's finished. I don't believe Jesus did it all. So I tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna incorporate my own way and how to serve the Lord. I'm gonna be made righteous by my efforts and not what God says. And if you don't, you know, the Holy Ghost is the only one that can take all these things away from us. But he says, the wrath falleth, the wrath of God will come on all the children of disobedience. I'd rather Jesus take the gift, let him do what he did, thank him for it, get full of him, build a relationship with him and have Jesus work in me. Or I can go in my own righteousness, according to my own doctrine, my own understanding, incorporating the law and whatever I wanna do to be righteous before God. And you know what it says? His wrath is gonna fall on them. Why? Because Jesus Christ wasn't enough for you. You wanted to do it yourself. So while you do it yourself, the wrath of God waits for you. And I gotta say to that, no thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Verse seven says, in the which ye also walked sometime when you lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Now you know, you can't put off anger unless you've got to change nature. I've seen people try to do this void of the spirit and they'll say, I'm not gonna get angry. I'm not gonna let them get to me. But deep down there, you know, trying to turn. You know, when you get to that place, your nature isn't changed. You're trying to bear it. But with a changed nature, you can put away anger. You can put away wrath. You can put away malice. You won't blaspheme because God's controlling your tongue. Filthy communication out of your mouth, that's not a part of me. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. See, you gotta put on the new man. This ain't about new works. This is the new man. This is the new life. This is the divine nature of Jesus Christ to get things done. The old man wants to perform. He's got to go. The old man is prideful. The old man is selfish. The old man is lazy. The old man just doesn't want to serve God. He's got to get moved aside so that the new man, the new and living way, which you have in Christ Jesus through the gift of his spirit to walk this thing out. He says, and put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew. So race don't matter. Circumcision or uncircumcision, man, don't get that law out of here. Barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, whether you're in jail or you're out, whether you're a barbarian or you're a noble, Christ is all and in all. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, uh, long suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any even, as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity. What is charity? That's love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts and to which also ye are called in one body and be ye 
thankful. Thank you, Jesus. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing, meaning warning, one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in the word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. That's what this is about. That's what this whole thing is about giving it unto Jesus, glorifying Jesus, giving your vessel over to Jesus, allowing Jesus Christ to grow in you, feed that new man, let the old man die so that Christ can do what he needs to do. Let's look at one more place. I want to go to uh, 2 Corinthians 4. I'm gonna make a, a couple of quick points, guys, bear with me. 2 Corinthians chapter four, and let's look at verse three. He says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. So no one has any right to preach whatever they want to preach and call it the gospel. We preach Jesus Christ that souls may be saved. That is the gospel. And then he says, um, for Jesus sake, look at verse six. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So notice in these vessels, which are you and I. Hey, hey, brother, um, brother Gary and sister Heather. I mean, sister um, Heather. Sorry, getting tongue turned around. But it says here that we have treasure in earthen vessels where God wants to crack open and break in. So you see why we can't remain in the flesh? We need to have these things cut from us so that we can get the life of God. So there has to be some mining, there has to be some digging, as the Bible refers to as breaking up fallow ground so that the spirit of God can manifest, okay, and come out. That's the treasure. What's keeping the Holy Ghost from coming forward or coming upon us or getting the life of God to spring out? We're too strong in the flesh. It's got to be crushed. Look at verse eight. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Why is that? Because of the Holy Ghost. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Why is that? Because of the Holy Ghost. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. This was how Jesus uh, subdued all things in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did he do? He had the peace of God in him. Look at verse 10, always bearing about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. So what does the Lord want? For us to die out, that the life of Jesus will be manifested in us. For we which live are always delivered unto death. So if you live for Christ, you're dying daily. 
for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Look at this. Back to verse 12. So then death worketh in us. What is Paul talking about? Him, Timothy and Silas and, and whoever else was with him at that time, Titus. They are dying daily in a life of self-denial, bringing the gospel where they need to, okay, so that they can serve the Lord. But as they're dying, as they're persecuted, as they're being crushed, like the Garden of Gethsemane, the life is springing forth unto the people because they're being served Christ. So he says, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So as you can see, the outward man has to be crushed. The outward man has to be broken. The old man has to die so that the new man can live in Christ. There is no law, there is nothing in this world that can keep you and I, okay, or make, make the life of Jesus come up in you and I, except that we yield our vessels to the Lord that he can live in them and work through them. This is the life, man. The outward man perishes, but the new man is renewed, not once a year, day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So we might suffer in this life, but what is the goal? That we may have eternal life and live with the Lord. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. They're only for a moment, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's what this is about. Let's go to Acts uh, 20 and let's look at verse 15. I wanna make a couple of points. I'm not gonna hold you guys too long tonight. But you see, that ground has to be broken up. That old man has to die. The very reason why we struggle in our walk is we're still alive. We die out to self and Jesus Christ will resurrect in us. It's so simple. It is so simple. It's not simple to die out. I'm saying it's simple in the way that if we just give it to Christ and we just allow the Lord to work. Okay, Lord, you said this. All right, I'll do that. All right, you said to fast and pray and do all these. I'll feed the new man. And when I feed the new man, the old man dies off. Remember what he said in Galatians 5, the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And those two are contrary the one to the other. They don't go together. It's like a seesaw. You put more weight on one end, the other end will lift up. You put weight on the other end, the other end will lift up. They don't run together. What you give life to, death will come to the other. Man. Thank you, Lord. 
So let's look at Acts 20, look at verse 15. This is Paul. He says, and we sailed thence and came to the and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried all Tragilium. Uh, and to the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia. For he hasted if, uh, if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, ye know from the first day that I came in unto Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. So you don't think Paul had his experience of um, Gethsemane? Absolutely. While he's serving the people, I mean, read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 and following, how he was whipped, how he was thrown in jail, how he was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. The governor of some place, you know, tried to get Paul to kill him. And Paul had to be lowered in a basket to escape his hands. So Paul had his experiences. He spent more time in jail doing the gospel work and writing epistles than he did outside. But he was, a, he was in bonds to the Lord Jesus Christ. He died daily so that the life of Christ would come to others. So he said, look at 19 again, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have shewed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. So he went where the gospel could be learned. He didn't just stay in his own place. Look at verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city sayings that bond, I mean saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. So what he's making clear here is, um, I can't remember what chapter it is, Sarah, if you're listening, try and pull it up, but there was a um, a place where Paul was told by a prophet that when he went to Jerusalem, he would be jailed, he would be persecuted. And this is what he's saying, he's going to Jerusalem, not knowing what is gonna befall him, but he's going anyway. Why? You're gonna find out why Paul was able to go regardless of what was going on. So he says, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So what do you guys think? You guys think Paul was alive or was he dead? 
Paul was alive, no doubt, but he was dead to self. Why? Because he had Jesus Christ living in him. And no matter what, he said, I don't count my life dear to me. I don't care about this life. I've got to get on the path and do what the Lord tells me to do because that is the calling upon my life. Why did he do it? That he may finish his course. That's what this is about. You can only finish your course when you follow the Lord Jesus. Everything else is shipwreck. Look at verse 25. He says, and now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have, I have gone preaching, the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this of uh, this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. So what was Paul doing? He was preaching that blood off his hands. You see, as Christians, a lot of people don't want to know this, but we got blood on our hands. We got saved so that we may save another. Not that we are we are guilty of the blood of other men, but we we become guilty when we learn the truth. If we learn the truth in Christ and we don't share it, there's blood on our hands. And that's the sort of thing that God wants to break us free from so that we can serve. He says, anyway, um, let's see. Uh, look at verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers to feed the church of God which he have purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flood. Also in your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And this is why we have to preach the same gospel and know the same things that God tells us to. We cannot incorporate mixed things with the gospel because he made clear that there would be men that were bringing perverse things that will draw disciples unto them, but not after Christ. Verse 31 says, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. So notice it's the word of God, okay? It's the, it's the commend, and he says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to do what? Build you up and give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. We've got to be sanctified from the inside out. There are no works that we can do to sanctify ourselves, only that we give everything to Jesus that he can live in us and work through us. So guys, in your spare time, read, uh, where did I wanna go? Uh, it's Revelation chapter three, when he spoke to the church of Laodicea, he made it very clear to them that uh, he says to buy from him gold that is tried in the furnace of fire. Why? Because he wanted us to know that because of what Jesus Christ endured, we can rest everything on him. He is a sure foundation. He is a precious cornerstone. He is everything that we need because not only has he been through, he's been proven. If we put our stock in him, we've hitched our wagon to heaven. And there are no works that anybody can tell you anything that is against God that will be with us. 
We've got to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, die out daily, allow ourselves in that oil press to be crushed, a life of self-denial that we can deliver the gospel unto others. And that's what the gospel is all about. That's what the Garden of Gethsemane represented. It was a place of crushing, a place of dying so that Jesus Christ could come. It might be Acts 20, you know. Amen, uh, Heather and Gary, new wineskins. <laughs> they said, indeed, preach it. But you see, this is what it's all about concerning the Lord, that we've got to give it all over to him. If we die out to self and we allow Jesus Christ to live, his will will be done in us. So I just want to say to people out there, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, you can give your life to Jesus Christ today. He says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you will have a yoke upon you. You're not going to go freely and lawless. You're going to have a yoke upon you, but it will be the yoke of Jesus Christ being guided by his spirit. And he takes the brunt in. He takes all the weight. He takes all the hits so that all we have to do is rest in him and allow him to work through us. But if you know you're not saved, you can give your life to Christ, repent of your sins, turn from your wicked ways, believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, give all things over to him that he may live in us and work through us. You know, um, get baptized, read his word, get full of his spirit, pray for a Holy Ghost baptism, pray for the gift of tongues, pray to be full, because you see that empowers you and I to walk and live the life of a Christian because we'll only go but so far before you backslide, but you need the Holy Ghost baptism to move on with the Lord. So believe that he died for your sins and that his precious blood will wash us clean. And when he tells us that it is finished, it was finished in him under the new Christ, under the, I'm under the, the true Christ, under the new covenant, under all that he commanded, because Jesus Christ is and always will be all that you and I will ever need. So let's go into prayer and from there we can go out. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for our brothers and sisters. May you guide them and keep them and may they grow in your grace. May we yield to your truth. May you open our hearts and our minds that we may receive you, that we may do all things that you want us to, that we may be those righteous fruit, to bring forth those righteous trees, to bring more fruit that others may be saved. I pray that you say you take selfishness and self-righteousness away from your people, that our righteousness is as filthy rags, and the only righteousness, Lord, that we can have is in you. Let your experience, Lord, on the cross, make us new and allow us to be able to endure that we may die out to self, that you may lead us to that cross so that when the outward, the outward man dies, the new man will live. I pray for all those who are listening, Lord, place them in a heavy anointing, give them strength, empower them to live for you because serving you is our heart's desire. Let all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So that's gonna wrap it up for tonight, guys. Um, I'm Minister Derek Allen of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com, and tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Pacific time and 10 p.m. Eastern time, well, 7.30 actually p.m. Pacific time and 10.30 Eastern time, we're gonna do a teaching called 
Jezebel reaches the throne. Jezebel reaches the throne. Why is that important? Because, you know, men are being turned around. Men are becoming servants of Jezebel. And that Jezebel spirit needs to be eradicated from God's church that we may serve the living God. So I just wanna say, I love you all, brother and sister Heather and Gary, Sarah, Sister Tara, Sister Anna, and whomever else, brother Randy and others that were on tonight. I just wanna say, I love you all. Don't forsake your prayer closet. Pray now more with a fervent desire more than ever, lest we slip into temptation. So I love you all until next time or till tomorrow night at least. Have a good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.